Peter, welcome along this morning. It's great to have you here. Peter, if you don't know, is the Vice Principal of Malian College, uh, also a lecturer and also the Director of Field Education, That's I right, believe. That's right, man. You've got to do it, yeah. And he's going to be sharing with us a little bit about, about Malian and then sharing with us from the Word of God. Fantastic. Bless you, bud. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you very much. Um, it is just a, a great privilege to be back here again. And uh, Wendy and I always do feel very much at home when we, we come here. Uh, if we lived a little bit closer, um, we'd, we'd love to be a part of the church, actually. But um, it's really great, even as we walked in this morning to catch up with so many folk that we know uh, along the way. Uh, just a few things to say about Malian. Uh, the, the, the new college guide is out and if any of you are at all contemplating uh, what it may be that God wants you to do next year and you're not sure, uh, maybe you're just finishing school or you're just finishing uni, uh, there are possibilities. And uh, I would encourage you to have a look at these. I'll leave some of them out in the foyer there. Uh, but we offer all kinds of approaches to study. You can do uh, a diploma, you can do an advanced diploma, uh, you can do an associate degree, you can do a degree, uh, you can study for one year, two years, three years, you can study part-time, full-time, you can study by distance, you can study by intensive, you can come in on Tuesday or Wednesday evenings when we hold classes, but we have a lot of people who do that, who are working in their regular workaday uh, lives, and then they come in on Tuesday and Wednesday nights to do study with us and uh, chip away at doing a uh, perhaps a, a Bachelor of Theology or a Bachelor of Ministry. Uh, if you've already got a degree, you might want to do a, a Master of Divinity or what have you. But uh, there's lots of information there, some great pictures as well. Um, and so uh, you can have, have a, a look through that later on uh, if you would like to, or you could ask any questions that you might. Now, that's the promo over. I'm done. All right? Um, so I want to take us back to Jeremiah 29. I am sorry for using that passage to start with. Uh, whoever did the reading there, there's some really difficult names there, I know. Um, that's a really nasty thing to have done, isn't it? But I don't know how many of you feel like this. I went to the doctor, in fact, uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I sat down in the doctor's surgery. The doctor's actually a good friend of mine. And uh, for about the first 10 or 15 minutes, he went on and just talked relentlessly about the strife that we are seeing in our world. Uh, there's political strife, of course, isn't there? Uh, there's wars. Uh, we have uh, all sorts of strife. Well, just recently, more earthquakes in New Zealand. Uh, there's riots, there's strife, there's tension, there's violence almost every night when you watch the news. It seems to me the first half of the news is just endless reports of, of violence and strife in our own communities. And, and, and so my doctor is, is sharing with me his, his growing sense of angst about what's going on in our world. And all the while I'm sitting there thinking, but I'm sick. You know, I'm sick. I, 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 I need to tell you my story, all right? Um, but, but he was just, because, I mean, he knows my heart, and, and he was sharing uh, something of what I think is a growing sense amongst so many people that this world in which we are living is a world that is in, in incredible turmoil. And I suppose add to that the fact that not that many years ago, for Christians in Australia, we felt very much as though Australia was a Christian country, wasn't it? And I mean, that was the way that we, we viewed it. Uh, people would speak about Australia as being the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'd look at the, the wonderful Southern Cross and it reminded us of the fact that, in a sense, the gospel had made its imprint upon our country. And indeed, our country uh, was founded upon Judeo-Christian values. 
And yet the truth is, in the age in which we are now living, even in the last 20 years, we have seen that the Christian voice, the Christian perspective, has been pushed so much to the margins of society. And I find that as I move around uh, week by week, I'm in the college throughout the week and most Sundays I'm in different churches, and I find increasingly there are so many Christians who are sensing that our Christian view and perspective has not only been pushed to the margins, but it is increasingly being resented. That people are not interested in what we have to say. In fact, they despise the fact that we would even dare to speak into the public sphere as Wendy does on so many occasions. And so my question is, how then are we to live in this rapidly changing world in which our views, which are centred upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, seem to be so much pushed to the margins? And what concerns me is that there are many Christians who I think are almost of the mind to think that we need to actually, in one sense, uh, withdraw. We need to, to, in a sense, uh, pull ourselves back and and hold one another tight because the world no longer wants to hear what we have to say. But I want to take us back now today to that reading from Jeremiah 29. Because here in Jeremiah 29, we find that the prophet Jeremiah is writing to a bunch of Jews who had been taken into Babylonian exile. And in so many ways, they were living lives in which they were being isolated. In in fact, worse than that, they were being ridiculed and demeaned at every level. Let me give you something of the background to the story. Jeremiah prophesied during the last 40 years of the southern kingdom of Judah. They were difficult and tumultuous years. Around about 100 years earlier, their northern brothers who were in the northern kingdom of Israel, you might remember that Israel at one stage had become divided into two separate nations, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, which consisted of just two tribes, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. A 100 years earlier, the northern kingdom of Israel had been overrun by the Assyrians. And now, as Jeremiah receives his call from God to minister into the southern kingdom of Judah, we find that they are in a a period of great spiritual and moral decline. As a nation, they were increasingly turning their backs upon God, giving lip service to God, and yet basically doing their own thing. And during the 40 years in which Jeremiah prophesied, we find that the southern kingdom of Judah had gone through a succession of no fewer than five kings. And all of these kings were desperately trying to play off the political game with the world powers of the day who were increasingly putting pressure upon them. And so they were trying to navigate their way through the competing demands of these world powers. And so finally, in 597, King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest kingdom of the day, the kingdom of Babylon, sends his army against Jerusalem yet again. And this time, he takes the king of Judah, King Jehoiachin, captive, along with him, thousands of the young men, particularly of Judah. And he carts them all off into Babylonian exile. And what King Nebuchadnezzar does is that he gets King Jehoiachin's uncle, And he takes him and he says, I'm going to make you now the king of Judah and I'll change your name. Your name is to become Zedekiah and you will be my king and you will do exactly what I tell you to do. And so Zedekiah was set up like a puppet king to the king of Babylon. And they were difficult days. 
And Zedekiah comes to the throne uh, in one sense almost in fear and trembling, wondering how is he to negotiate all of this that is going on. And at that time there is a false prophet who is prophesying in the royal courts in Jerusalem. And this false prophet by the name of Hananiah comes to Zedekiah and he says, look, don't worry about all of this because within two years the Babylonians will be overthrown and everyone will come home and everything will be fine. It'll all be good. And Jeremiah comes along and he says, rubbish. It is not going to be all good. In fact, it's only going to get worse. And so Jeremiah then, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, pens a letter to all of those who had already been carted into Babylonian exile. And what he writes to them is somewhat terrifying. He says, look, you need to understand that you are going into exile. You're already there, but you're not coming home anytime soon. In fact, you are going to be in exile for 70 long years. This is not going to be any picnic. A whole generation is going to pass. You will remain in exile. And you can imagine, as those who are in exile begin to read Jeremiah's letter, they're thinking, you're kidding. We keep hearing word from back home that Hananiah says, it'll all be over in two years. And Jeremiah, you're saying we'll be here for 70 years. Yes, 70 years. So how, how are, we, are they to live? In this difficult environment where they've been so pushed to the margins, where they have been so demeaned and ridiculed. And so Jeremiah wants to write to them to help them understand how they are to live faithfully for God in the midst of this terrifying world in which they have found themselves. Well, how were they naturally inclined to live? Well, it's rather interesting because if you go to Psalm 137, we're given a little bit of an insight into the way in which the people naturally were inclined to respond to their circumstance. Some of you will know the psalm as it is up there on the screen. Their natural response was to, in a sense, bemoan their circumstance and they would say, by the rivers of Babylon. We sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for our captors asked for us a song. Our tormentors demanded us songs of joy. They said, oh, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their response, how? How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? How can we be filled with joy in the midst of this this trying and testing world in which we find ourselves? And so their natural response was in one sense to be living, constantly bemoaning the world in which they now found themselves. But as Jeremiah writes to them, he has a vastly different perspective on how the people of God should live in the midst of a trying, albeit a crazy world. And so in this brief little letter, Jeremiah says three simple things that they should do. The first thing he basically says to them is, look, just settle down. And you'll see what he says there in verse 4. He says, look, build your houses, plant your gardens, eat the produce, make provision for the next generation, find wives for your sons and husbands for your daughters, let them have children, just get on and live your life. 
In one sense, Jeremiah is simply saying to them, don't spend your days moaning and groaning about all that you've lost, about the way it used to be. Get on and live your life. You know, as I move around, I I hear so many Christians who are bemoaning the rapid changes in our society. Not only in our society, but in the world. The way in which everything seems to be going. And I hear so many Christians almost living with a sense of, oh, if only it was 50 years ago, the world was such a better place then. Jeremiah seems to be saying to the people of God, quit moaning and get on and just simply live your life. The second thing he says to them is that they are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city or the place to which God has sent them. Now, I know in the ESV translation that was read there before, it says, seek the welfare of the city. And that's a great translation. But in one sense, I think it almost misses something because the word that is used there in the original is the word shalom. Some of you will be familiar with it. If you go to Israel today, everywhere you go, you'll still hear people say shalom. All right, And the word simply means peace. But let me say to you that the word shalom is not just peace in the sense of the cessation of tension and strife. The word shalom is a beautiful word because it it encapsulates a a sense of wholeness of peace. It is first of all in, in its purest sense peace with God and then it's peace within and then it's peace with those around about us as well. And Jeremiah says, you are to seek this kind of peace amongst the people that you now live. You are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. And I can imagine Jeremiah's readers looking at this and saying, you've got to be kidding. You mean you want us to seek the peace and prosperity of these Babylonians, these cruel, wicked people who demean us day after day after day, who have made our lives such a misery. And Jeremiah, in one sense, would say back, yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to seek the common good of the society in which you now find it yourself. And what is more, in fact, he goes on to say, and I want you to pray for them. You are to pray for them. In fact, he says you are to pray for them because if they prosper, and there he uses that same word, shalom, if they come to know the shalom of God, if they come to understand what it is to know true peace with God and peace within, guess what? You too will grow in your own experience of the peace of God. And so I want you to be praying for the people who have been your tormentors. And again, I can imagine some of them saying, you've got to be kidding. Pray for these wretched people? Yes, Jeremiah says, pray for them. So why does Jeremiah give this kind of advice to these exiled people? Well, the answer is simply this. And it comes out so beautifully in verse 29, which some of you know so very uh, 29 verse 11 rather, some of you know so well, where God says, look, I know, I know the plans that I have for you. You see, I'm not done with you yet. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you. And again, it's that wonderful word shalom. 
My plan is that you might know an increasing sense of this incredible, fully orbed sense of peace, peace with God and peace within and indeed even peace with those around about. I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You see, this may not have been the world that you actually had dreamt of living in. The circumstances may be vastly different than what you had hoped for. But you see, God isn't done with us yet. And so God goes on to say, look, even in the midst of your trying world, I want you to know that you will seek me and you will find me, yes, even in the midst of it all, when you search for me with all your heart. Don't give up on it. Keep seeking after me even in the midst of this crazy, tormented world in which you find yourself. Now, what has all that got to do with us almost 3,000 years down the track? As we live in an increasingly fast-paced, crazy world where messages of violence and torment and strife flood our news reports day after day after day, where perhaps for many of us we are feeling increasingly as Christians that we are being pushed to the margins of our society. What does the Word of God have to say to us? Hey, listen, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes to a bunch of Christians who in so many ways were in a very similar circumstance to the people to whom Jeremiah wrote. Peter writes to first century Christians who were beginning to feel the blowtorch of persecution, who in many ways were being pushed to the margins of society, where their world was becoming increasingly violent and filled with strife. And Peter says, look, dear friends, I want to urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Peter says, look, I want you to understand something. This world is not your home. You see, this is not our ultimate home. You are aliens and strangers in this world. You're just passing through, friend. But while you're here, Peter wants his readers of the first century to understand how God wants them to live. And he does much the same thing as Jeremiah. Peter understood what the writer of Hebrews has to say, that in this world... We have no enduring city, for we are looking for a city that is to come. You see, if you and I are truly members of the kingdom of God, we know that this world is not our ultimate home, don't we? We're just passing through. And so for all the rubbish that we're seeing in our world, this is not our final destination. We have a home that God is preparing for us. But in the here and now, God has a purpose for how we are to live. How does God want us to live? Well, surely the message from Jeremiah's day, from Peter's day to our day remains the same. The message is that we are simply to get on and live our life. We are to live our life in a sense to the full. Remember the words of Jesus in John 10.10. I have come that you might have what? That you might have life and you might have it to the full, that you might have it abundantly. You know, over the years, it seems to me that I've come across a few too many Christians who've had this sense that godliness is next to grumpiness. You you come across any of those? 
You know, to, to be truly godly in this world, you've got to go around with a long, mournful scowl on your face. Oh, the woes of this world. You know, and, and seriously, I, mean, I come across people like that and I think, no, surely not. That is not what God has called us to be in this world. He has called us to live, in one sense, our lives to the full. And it's not to say that we don't recognise the shocking things that are going on in our world. There are dreadful things that ought to rightly appall us and disturb us. But far from causing us to withdraw and to live isolated lives, it seems to me that what God is saying is that we are to live full lives that are engaged fully with the world around about us. Why? Because of all of the people on the face of planet Earth, you and I know the only true answer to that which ails our world. And the answer is Jesus. In every circumstance where we see our world crumbling and falling apart, we know what the answer is. The answer is to be found in Jesus. And what is more, he understands, he understands the pressure and that sense of alienation and isolation that we so often feel ourselves. We read in John chapter 1 and verse 10, he came to his own. He came to his own into this world that he had created, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him too. They rejected him and ultimately he was sent to die Upon a cross, but Jesus in John 15 said to his, his followers, Look, if the world hates you, look, don't, don't take it too much to heart. Remember, it hated me first. And the fact is, if we're going to live faithfully for Jesus in this world, we are going to be despised. If you want to know about that, just ask Wendy about her Twitter feed. Right? She won't even let me look at it anymore. Right? Um, but we will be despised. But nonetheless, we are to continue in one sense to live our lives large because we know the answer and the answer is to be found in Jesus. The one who, in spite of his own rejection, came and freely offered his life upon the cross. He bled and died to pay the price for our sin. He was raised to life again so that he, in turn, might be able to offer to us not only the forgiveness of sin, but the extraordinary gift of eternal life. And that eternal life is something which starts right here, right now today. It's not just pie in the sky when you die by and by. It is the wonder of heaven to come, but it's the wonder of living this life today, right now, in the midst of all of the mess and confusion of our world, living our lives for Jesus. And I want to say to you, I think there's no greater joy than to expend my life living faithfully for Jesus in the midst of this world. Well, what else would Jeremiah say to us? Well, surely he would say, look, you are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, of the place into which I have called you. And the beauty of this gospel is that the gospel calls us to live, as Wendy has already indicated, as salt and light. And the gospel, as we press the gospel out into this world, has the most extraordinary power. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who will believe. And so we are to take the gospel and we are to press the gospel out into the darkness. But this gospel, this gospel not only saves souls, but it transforms lives and indeed it transforms societies as well. And so we're to take the gospel 
And we are to take the gospel and press it out into the darkness. But not only are we to take the gospel in one sense and to proclaim the gospel as Jesus commands us, we are to actually live the gospel. We are to demonstrate to the wider world the beauty of the values of the kingdom of God. How the values of God's kingdom far transcend the broken, fallen values of our world. And so in the sort of ministry that Wendy's involved in, she seeks to press the values of the kingdom of God out into the midst of the darkness. In one sense, holding up the values of the kingdom of God and saying to the world, look at this. Will you look at how God intends for society to function? Because it will make a world of difference. You know, I love the ministry of people like William Carey, a wonderful servant of God from 400 years past, who had such a powerful influence on the nation of India. William Carey was utterly devoted to the proclamation of the gospel, but he also saw that not only should he proclaim the gospel, but he should press the values of the kingdom of God into the darkened world of that day in India. And so he, he took the values of the kingdom and he pressed it into all sorts of fields, whether it be education or medicine or economics or agriculture, and the list went on and on and on. He was a great champion uh, for the abolition of the, the burning of widows, which was such a common practice in that day. And even now today, 400 years on, the work of William Carey is celebrated by so many in India for the revolution that it actually brought, as he brought the values of the kingdom of God and pressed them into the darkness of that society. You see, folks, we have been called upon to take the message of the gospel and the values of the kingdom and press them shamelessly into the darkness. Now, God can do things. And so often, you know, as we we press the values of the kingdom into the darkness, we find that God begins to open hearts to the gospel. You would not believe the number of gospel opportunities Wendy has as she presses the values of the kingdom into the darkness of our wider society. It's a great privilege. But finally, what would Jeremiah say? Well, he'd say, look, don't, don't, don't just... Do those things, but I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the city. Pray for the place that I have planted you. I I must confess I'm I'm rather sneaky and cheeky. Because as I go around and share in churches most Sundays, I love to listen to the way in which the churches pray when they gather together. And I've got to say, I, I don't know who led the prayer this morning, Wherever you were, brother, you bless my heart. And I, I, I led across to Wendy after as I said, what a beautiful prayer. A large and expansive prayer. You see, there are times when I go to churches and all I hear them doing is praying about ours and us, you know. Praying about ourselves, praying about our programs, praying about our church family, which is all good. But I see that the scriptures also call upon us to have much larger, expansive prayers in which we will pray for the world in which God has placed us. Listen to what Paul says. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for everyone, for kings and all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
godliness and holiness. This is good and pleasing to God our Saviour. Why? Because he wants all people everywhere to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see what he's saying? I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the world in which you are living. You know, a few years back, Wendy and I had uh, I'd moved into the teaching at the college and we suddenly realised that we had um, much less contact with the wider world. When I was in pastoral ministry, I was always out there amongst people, you know, mixing it with people outside of the church for the sake of the gospel. And now I'm at the college, it's sort of like a, a hothouse. And, and we became really concerned, so we started to pray very earnestly for our neighbourhood. We felt that God had laid it on our hearts. We should pray for them. But you know, it's a dangerous thing to start praying. Because as we did, God began to sort of say to us, well, what are you going to do about it? And I'm thinking, oh, yes, what are we going to do? Um, So we decided that we would let a box drop our neighbourhood and we would invite all of our neighbours over for a coffee and dessert night. And so we ran off about 150 invitations and letterbox dropped all the neighbours thought, oh, who knows what's going to happen. We had about 50 people turn up the first time. My goodness me. And so we had all of these people and so we thought, this is marvellous. They're all on our space and we just, um, we just did community with our neighbours. And, and some of them had lived in the area for, for years and they said, we've never met some of these people. Can we do it again? Yeah, let's do that again. And so over the last number of years, we've done it numbers of times. In fact, we, we had one just again yesterday. And so we had a whole bunch of our neighbours on our deck yesterday afternoon for afternoon tea. And, uh, and as we, we, we have gone on, we've actually bec- let people know where our hearts are at. In fact, I think on one occasion, uh, the lady of the road was moving out. And uh, so I, um, I, everyone was there on our deck. And I said, look, I hope you don't mind. Some of you know that we're Christians and it's the most natural thing in all the world when we get together with people to pray. hope you don't mind, but I want to pray for Kathy. She's moving out of the area. And some of them sort of looked at them. Okay. Yes. Or, yeah, okay, we close our eyes. That's right. All right. And, and, and so I prayed. And afterwards, it was almost like, you know, get a ticket at the deli. I had all these people who wanted to come and talk to me about stuff. A man down the road, around the corner, who'd lost his job. And he ended up saying, would you pray for me? And so I pr- started to pray for him. And guess what? He got a job. <laughs> and, and he came to me a little while later and he said, I just I, I got a job. And so we had another gathering um, some while ago and, and he found someone else. He said, come and meet this guy. This guy's the neighbourhood chaplain, you know. And, and he said, he'll pray for you. And so yesterday, with all of the people who were gathered on our deck, one of the ladies, her husband had died just a few weeks ago. And so before everyone left, I said, look, I hope you don't mind, but I, I just want to pray for the neighbourhood. Do you mind? And, and, and we're going to pray for Vivian. And... And I prayed for Vivian. And at the end of that, we had one of the ladies from our neighbourhood who stayed for almost two hours after everybody else. And we've been praying about starting a Christianity Explored course within our neighbourhood. And I said to her, look, would you be interested if we did something like this just to find out more? Now, she's an older retired lady. She's a widow. And you know what? I reckon she's going to be our first candidate. And I'm just thinking, Lord, this, this is exciting, isn't it? This is the world into which you've placed us. And folks, what I want to simply say to you today, regardless of what we see as the rubbish that is going on in our world, God is calling us. He has got us here at this time in this place for a purpose. 
And he wants us to live our lives in one sense, live them large for Jesus. He wants us to be prepared to actively seek the peace and prosperity of our society. So that people will come to know what it is to truly find peace with God and peace within. And he wants us by all means to be praying for the world in which he has placed us. Has God put his finger on something there for you this morning? Is there something there this morning that God is saying, listen, I want you to actually get more involved. You're not here just to to work out your 70 years and finally go home to heaven. I've got something for you to do right now. Folks, I want to suggest to you there's no better way to live than to be utterly devoted to the cause of the kingdom of God because this world is not our home. We're just passing through, but we're on a mission. God is continuing to fulfill the promise that Jesus gave when he said, I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. The beauty of it is that he puts out his hands and he says to you and me, will you please come on board and share in what I'm doing in this world? Folks, I cannot think of a better way to devote my life than to the cause of the kingdom of God and his Christ and his kingdom. If God has touched your heart with something today, don't just walk out the door and say, oh yeah, that was nice. Go back to God and say, God, show me clearly then how you want me to live my life in this world that you've placed me in today. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Lord, we want to say thank you for the immense privilege that we have of being called the children of God. But Lord, not only have you called us to be your children, you've called us to be your servants in this world, to serve you faithfully and well, to to live out the reality of the gospel we profess, to live, in a sense, our lives large for Jesus, to actively seek the peace and prosperity of this city, of this world in which you've placed us, and to pray earnestly for it. Lord, forgive us for so often we have become so self-indulged and so self-focused in the way that we live, concerned only with our own little patch, our own concerns, and our eyes have become so introspective. Lord, lift our eyes, we pray. Even as Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes, look out to the harvest, for they are white, ready, harvest. Lord, give us those sorts of eyes and hearts, we pray, to be engaged so fully in the work of the kingdom of God. And we pray it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.